The first one won't kill you. Not the second. Not even the third. Not till you crawl over here and you kiss my foot. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. We're back after our lengthy Halloween season, eight episodes on the zombie films uh, reanimated series, uh, which was a fun time. Hopefully everybody had a good Halloween, safe Halloween, uh, tried to stay off the streets as much as possible. I know my Halloween was not that great. I had to stay, stay home and uh, have like a family party and... Normally, I do trick-or-treating every year for, uh, you know, I scare people, scare kids when they come for trick-or-treat, and it was a little bit of a bummer, so I had to take an edible and uh, <laughs> and get through it that way. Very, very mild, mild high for the Halloween night. I mean, I had to sleep to get ready for work in the morning, so yeah. be up at 1.30. Mm. Well. Oh well. Everybody has everybody has their issues on Halloween, I guess. <laughs> but other than that, the season was pretty fun and uh, we had a good time. Um, but we're back again now. Um, we had been on a hiatus before we started our Halloween season, and uh, we're we're back even though coronavirus is at an all time high. Probably, you know, no, it's being not. a little lax now. But no, it's not. No, it's a, it's no. a myth. It's gone away after the election. Totally I had somebody at work say that it's coming from a meteorite. Well, you know what? Maybe it is, like in Creep Show. You know, we got this strange meteorite that fell from space, and we gosh darn it, we got all this coronavirus now. Yeah. Even so, that, even that, it, I say I say that too. Like I had someone too also be like, "It's a strain of the flu. That's why it's like the flu." I'm like, "No, it's it's a SARS virus." Yeah. What? Totally. No, different. no, it's actually a strain of the SARS virus. Like completely uh, different. Yeah, different family. Yeah. But we're being safe here on the show, uh, and we're going to continue hopefully doing episodes throughout the rest of the time. Uh, we had planned – we want to do a Thanksgiving episode, but it's a little early for our Thanksgiving episodes because we do uh, episodes every two weeks. And the way that Thanksgiving is going to fall this time, uh, we're going to do an episode in two weeks, and it's going to be like right before Thanksgiving. Technically, we should post it on Friday, but I'm going to post it early for Thanksgiving so you can be listening to it instead of – um, you know, talking at the table with your family members, you know, listen to the podcast. Just say, uh, 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 whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm listening to Blood and Black Run podcast yeah. here. Uh, well, there's please. not going to be a good football game on. That's right. Because the Cowboys are garbage. Lions are garbage. So you can just tell everybody, you know what? We got a Blood and Black Run podcast Thanksgiving episode. So you know, that we don't know exactly what to do yet. So I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. There's a few options. I'm not sure which one we're going to pick yet, but, um, so, so again, also, we hadn't picked tonight's episode until tonight when we were uh, getting ready to figure out what we're going to what we're going to do. Um, so tonight's episode is not the Thanksgiving episode. That will be the next time. Uh, this episode we had talked about doing um, while it was still the Halloween season because 
unfortunately, we lost Sean Connery not too long ago. And we said, well, we should do a Sean Connery tribute. Uh, it's only fitting. We try to do some of those tributes when they come around. Unfortunately, most of the time that happens when people die. That's when you do the tribute. Uh, except for Jeff Goldblum. We managed to get that one in before he, you know, before he kicked the bucket. He's, listen, going, he's going strong. Listen, we well ahead on that curve. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Paul Rudd train. That's right. We've been members of that since like 2001. Yeah. So sometimes, some, sometimes we do tributes and they're not when people <laughs> die. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, this case, though, Sean Connery did pass away. How old was he at, uh, when he died? 90. 90. 90 years old. Good for him. You know what? I had a pretty good life. Tired to the Bahamas. That's what, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided that, you know, with Sean Connery's passing, we want to do a Sean Connery film. And the one that's, ones that you normally think of are Bond films. Um, I... You know, I kind of deferred to Martin on this. Martin is a much bigger Bond fan than I am. I haven't really seen very many Bond films at all. Um, I'm more of a Fu Manchu man. I, I like the the films of Fu Manchu. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but um, he's more of a Bond fan, and so I just said, I said, you know what, you you know, if you're gonna pick a Bond film, you can pick it. Just make sure it's not super long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we don't. So we have time for it. But obviously, um, you had one in mind. You had already had one in mind when you were thinking of Sean Connery, and you picked from Russia with Love. From Russia with Love, widely considered by most people to be the best Bond film. Maybe not the most revered, like Goldfinger is, because it. Goldfinger's kind of got a special place in the zeitgeist for mm-hmm. all the trends it would lead to down the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when it, it, a lot of these films were off, uh, also riffed off of in other spy films and then also in Austin Powers. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of the in ideas. And in Inspector Gadget, let's not leave Inspector Gadget out of there because Inspector Gadget's claw is basically Blofeld. Mm-hmm. So we can't leave that one out. You know, same thing like Mission Impossible, Get Smart. Mm-hmm. They all got they like, have, you know. They have those elements of the Bond films. Yeah, Lupin Third, And most of them are pulling yeah. from these Bonds, the yeah. Sean Connery Bonds, the ones that set things in motion. Um, so From Russia with Love is the second in the Bond, Sean Connery Bond series, right? Yes. First one is Doctor No. Yes. And when we uh, get into From Russia with Love, I'm immediately feeling a little left out because I hadn't seen Dr. No and the events of From Russia with Love are picking up after Dr. No. Which is, for those who don't really know much about Bond, there's not much continuity in Bond. So the fact that there's continuity from Dr. No to this one is surprising. But then again, that's because they haven't really found that right formula yet. There's not a whole lot of continuity. The only thing is that you're not really introduced to anybody within Bond's circle. So, like, you know, everybody that's um, within his circle, like Q and M. This this is the first one with Q. And he's not 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 even introduced. He's just kind of, this is Q. He's got your stick. Not even even he's Q. They're just referring to Q branch, you know. That's true. You know, they don't even say, you know, anything about, you know, like Q Branch this, made you, and then he's just, you know, here to show you, like, yeah, that's what he got. Yeah, it is interesting that he wasn't in Dr. No, and then now all of a sudden he's just kind of there. And and I guess, that, I mean, it makes sense, because in the world of 
Bond, you know, if he's been working with Q previously, you don't need it. he doesn't need another introduction to him. That just is for exposition purposes. Hey, Bond, you remember Q, right? Uh, Q, the guy who designs this, this, the equipment that you use, this guy? Uh, yeah, he's been, you know, designing all of my equipment for the past missions, but sure, I know Q. Uh, so it makes sense. But yes, you, you are going, you're getting a little bit of that exposition that had happened previously. Um, obviously, there is even a mention of Dr. No when we're talking with the Spectre people and with Blofeld um, talking about Dr. No. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of information that you really need to help you get into From Russia With Love. You have most of it is no. just set pieces for this movie, particularly, that they're, they're setting up. Um so that's a good thing for people who are coming into Bond and not really knowing if you've never seen Bond films before. I would also say, though, too, if – especially now, if I, as a Bond fan, were to introduce somebody to the franchise, mm. as much as I – you know, From Rushed With Love is my favorite Bond film. And it is heralded as probably the best Bond film. For me, it's From Rushed With Love's 1A, then Honor, Majesty, Secret Service is 1B. But if I was to initi- like show somebody uh, an initiate, like get into the Bond franchise, I would not show from Russia with Love mm-hmm. first, not at all. Which one would you show? Y- you know, probably, especially now that it's been so you know been long. You know now you know now that the film's like sixty years old almost. Mm-hmm. Probably Casino Royale. Maybe GoldenEye. You know, kind of start newer and then work your way back. Because I just think, you know, as that film's getting older and older, if you're trying to get someone interested into James Bond, it's going to be harder to start with the first stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say, like, for the first, you know, Connery film, I'd say Goldfinger, but... Yeah, that um, was my first one for classic yeah. Bond. But, Goldfinger. you know, I, I wouldn't say for much of love. Because I think, though, as great of a film as it is, you have to have a certain taste and style um, when it comes to, like, spy thrillers. Yeah. When it comes to Bond, most of the Bond films I like, they're down-to-earth and more grittier. Mm-hmm. You know, more realistic. For Marshall with Love is like that. Um, Casino Royale, I like, is like that. Skyfall, I like, is like that. Um the Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton, which a lot of people don't like, is like that. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, is like that. Those are the ones I like. I don't like the, like, over the, like, so Roger Moore, to me, is one of my least favorite James Bonds, because he's, his films outside of, like, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me and uh, For Your Eyes Only are pretty campy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really jokey and shit. I mean, Goldfinger falls into that as well. It's, no, it's it is. It's more of a campier It does. Style. Like it, like from from the, from Goldfinger on, it ratchets it up. Like yeah. Thunderball is a little bit campier than like you. Uh, you only live twice is even a little bit more campier because that's when you get to meet Donald Pleasance as Blofeld and his volcano lair and all that. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? It's all cool. Like Thunderball's cool too, but it's like it gets just grow like the scale and splendor just grow greater and greater and greater. Yeah, they're getting a little bit more. Um... I don't know, like they're trying to be a little bit more uh, eccentric in things that they're presenting. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not just about the, the whole spy element anymore. Yeah. They're get, getting bigger, yeah. grandi- grandiose, 
yeah. in scale. And that's why, like, after that, when Lazenby comes on, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is, like, a reset back to basics. Mm-hmm. And it's very grounded, which makes it a great film, mm-hmm. in my eyes. One of the reasons that makes it a great film. But, you know, so, like, if I were to, like, introduce somebody new to the Bond franchise, I would not. Start with From Russia with Love. GoldenEye, because that, I, for most people in our generation, GoldenEye is what got you into it, because you got Pierce Brosnan. You got the N64 game. You got the N64 game that everybody loved. You got right. Famke Jansen, you know, everyone's yeah. favorite femme t- fatale. How can you go wrong with Famke What film have we covered with Famke Jansen that we've not loved? The Faculty and Josh Hartnett's crazy hair and... Just spooge hair? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's, you can't go yeah. wrong with Famke Chance. All right, let's um, take a break real quick before we get into more information about From Russia With Love. And we'll talk about the beer that we've got on the show today since we're nearly done with the beer. So before we get any further into it and forget about what we're drinking, let's talk about it first. I don't have the music today. I didn't. We, obviously, we have to move on from you know Zombies what, Ate My Neighbors. You know what you should have done? You should have picked like a classic golden eye level. You know. That's true. I could have done that. Um, I, what my goal was to have was the Guts theme song. That's like going to be our new beer talk. The beer talk theme song is Guts because I love it. It's so random and I, I love it. I mean, I love it too. It makes me want to climb the aggro crag. That's right. And you know Guts! What? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and I, it's kind of interesting because I um, had been, I don't know what made me think about Guts. Like, you know, six weeks ago when we were starting the podcast <laughs> up again. But something made me think about Guts. And then I was thinking about, you know. Um, I, I remember, yeah. Uh, what uh, the guy, what's the guy's name? Mike, um, Mike, uh, whatever his name is. Um, who, uh, why, why can't it? Michael Malley. Michael Malley, sorry. Michael Malley was the host on Guts. I see. I would not right? even fucking remember that. Right. My, Michael Malley. Then he went on to be in uh, The Lovable Oaf in Yes, Dear. The the CBS sitcom that ran for seven or eight seasons. And then uh, just the other day, I was thinking about him again, and he's in Snowpiercer, the TV show that's on uh, TNT right now. He's in Snowpiercer. And I don't know why, but there's just this running guts thing that makes me keep making me think about the show. American Gladiator for kids. It's awesome. Another show that's dearly missed. Legends of the Hidden Temple. Guts is better than Legends of the Hidden Temple. I don't know. I... I, well, I will say, and we're getting way off onto a tangent. We haven't even talked about the beer, but we're getting we're talking about guts. Um, I will say that I always kind of felt sometimes like Legends of the Hidden Temple was rigged. Yeah, like they would be like just random, like ah. You, I don't even remember what the prizes were at the end of it. You win, like a, you, they, you get they like all, a well, Sega they, Genesis or something. Yeah, no, like, all that shit. Like a Double <laughs> Dare, it was all just like you get a bicycle, figure yeah, it out or whatever. But if you if you won like the grand prize, like you get to go to Universal <laughs> Studios, yeah, and it's like, like you're already there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what the grand prize was, but I always felt like sometimes. The producers are like, just fuck this team in particular when they got to the end. Like the Blue Barracudas, fuck the bear. We don't want the Blue Barracudas to win today. Listen. So like they would always rig the last puzzle. Listen, the, last, uh, the thing that you're missing out the most is um, the best game show of all time on Nickelodeon is Brain Surge. I don't even remember Brain Surge. Yeah, well, that's after us. Yeah, I know. Because Jeff Sutphin. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's, From that's, Mayfield. What, that's, what his, yeah, that's what it's called. I don't even... Doesn't even ring any bells to me that that was the name of the game. But. Local celebrity Jeff Sutphin right. from our hometown, Mayfield, New York. We only have a few uh, celebrities around <laughs> our area. 
One's a porn star, one's Jeff Sutphin, and then one's Rachel True, who's in The Craft. from Northville. That's not Mayfield, though. But it's a, basically around Ed. It's around the same area. By the way, speak last off-topic thing. Okay. The Stales is coming in quite hard for them to, 25 years later to come out with a Craft sequel. The Craft Legacy. It's not really a sequel. It's sort of a remake, sort of not. I don't know what it is. I haven't watched it yet. I don't have internet, so I can't. I can't watch it. But um, is it just like an Amazon movie? Or yeah, what? yeah, yeah. It's on Amazon. You gotta. One of these days, we'll have to do the craft. Yeah, I like the craft. I like it a lot too. Fun, fun movie. Do that in cruel intentions. Yeah. All right. So on to the beer talk. Uh, for t- just, just think about the guts. Guts. Playing in the background. And that'll be on the next show. I promise. I'll, I'll get it for the next show. <laughs> but I don't have it right now. Uh, so what we're drinking today, we uh, had, I, I don't know, did we talk about this uh, last time we were on the show? Did, no. Did we mention this at all? We, no. Uh, obviously. No, because even, we. Even before October was over, I was already moving on from Oktoberfest since I've been drinking Oktoberfest since August. So now I moved on to the winter beers in October. And hey, wouldn't you know, it's been 70 all week yeah. up until today. Yeah. yeah. And I got the Saranac pack because it looked actually particularly interesting this time. It's got a a, an IP, a winter IPA. It's got a winter a warmer. It's got another. Um, the Big Moose Ale. Yeah, it's got the Big Moose Ale. And it's got something else, too. And I can't remember what that other beer is off the top of my head. But um, it's got some interesting ideas in it. So I wanted to check it out. And the, one of the new ones that they have is the winter warmer. Um, now, Saranac has done. I think winter ales in the past. I don't know about. I don't. I don't, they haven't. Really, they don't really do a winter warmer. They don't. It's not like a normal style for them. Um, so I was interested to try this out and see what their winter warmer was like. And once you know it, a winter warmer from Saranac really tastes like a winter warmer, like what you would expect. It's not really, you know, surprising. As, ale brewed with spices. As, as every winter warmer that you'll ever have during the season, it just says an ale. Brewed with spices. Yeah. What kind of ale? I don't know. I don't know. But I will say that it's pretty tasty. Um, for a winter warmer, it's got on the uh, it's kind of on the lower end of the alcohol content. Five point eight percent. It's kind of low because when you think of winter warmer, good. Yeah, it is good because usually warmers, you get when it's too alcoholy. Yeah. It brings out the the figgy uh figgy dried fruit flavors. Um, that you come to expect from like an old ale because they, they're very similar. Winter warmers and old ales, you can think of an old ale as like we put this winter warmer into a bottle and we left it in the back room for a few months and now we've got an old ale. <laughs> Makes you th- feel like you're fucking uh, li- uh, Tiny Tim in, you know, Christmas story. Yeah. Just like, we saved up refigs and nooks for the season. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's what they do. They just like, all right, we got all these. Old dried fruits from summer, throw them into a bottle and let them melt down. That's your old ale. <laughs> Winter warmers are a little bit less on the, um, like, nutmeggy, figgy, dried fruit flavors. They still have those flavors uh, to a certain extent. Maybe a little raisiny. Not too much, though. It's not extremely strong. Um, you do get some of those cinnamony, nutmeggy um I don't know, like snickerdoodly flavors that you can get from, uh, for that you would expect from winter style um, herbs and spices. Um, but I will say that I think that their winter warmer is pretty 
good. It's standard. Uh, I would say that if I swapped this out for like someone else's winter warmer, I probably would be very difficult to tell the difference it's between them. Very similar to like harpoons mm-hmm. and yep. So you know you're on the right track. It's not a bad thing. It's just you know it's a standard winter warmer. It's what you would expect when you think of winter warmers. So I, I would say that they did a good job with it. That style of brew is you know is a, a particularly um. Important style for the season, and I, I think they did a good job. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I think the fact that we haven't had any snow yet kind of turns me off a little bit right now from having it. Yeah. Because um, it's definitely a beer I don't want to really have unless it's like 10 degrees out and, snow, you know, snowy. You come in and you have your winter warm. Yeah, it's, you know, after, sh- like sho- after shoveling, soup, you know, for snowman. four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's malty. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's too overpowering with either like the spices, like it's not super uh, nutmeggy or cinnamony or anything like that. It does have a dry fruit taste to it, but it's definitely not overpowering at all because it's that's something I definitely do not enjoy when I, I come to drink any sort of alcohol or anything in general. It's got a nice balance to it. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not like an old Fezziwig, you know, which Sam's just refuses to put out these days, but yeah. it's not bad. I, you know, I'd say try it. Yeah. yeah you know. Sure. Um, and if you get it now, because of COVID, they have green bottles instead of their normal brown. That makes it more festive. It does. It kind of does. I like that. I don't know if they're going to stick with it, but. It comes with like even a disclaimer. I'm because, sure. I'm sure they won't because if they had to put yeah. out a disclaimer, like, oh, we have to. Yeah, it you comes know. with a disclaimer, and it's like, don't you know, be alarmed. You know, there's somebody out there like, well, fucking, I can't. I can't. This yeah, shit anymore. I can't believe they didn't use their brown bottles. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I like it for the winter pack at least. If they stuck with the green bottles for the winter pack, I think that's kind of cool. It kind of gives it just a little festive flair, yeah. a little flair to your festive holiday drinking. But I'll, I'll definitely put it over, like, when they had... Because they used to cram that 4059 Porter in their fucking holiday pack every year. Yep. And that was always such yep. a waste, because it was, like, the most generic of porters that you could ever have. Like, like meh. Because they, like, they would advertise it as, like, it has, like, vanilla and caramel. And you couldn't taste any. It's like, yep, just <laughs> just tastes like, you know, uh, bar, you know, like, uh, porter uh, malts in there. Yep. Uh, you know. Yep. Well, check out the Saranac Winter Pack because it's got some good stuff in there. It's got uh, some solid different different beers in there. It does have an IPA in there. It's the Permafrost IPA. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, you know, I would recommend that one as well. Although I think I think winter style IPAs, even though I am a sucker for them, are kind of pushing it. Like most of the time, you're not looking for a winter IPA. Even so. Sierra Nevada does a pretty good one with their Celebration IPA, but um, for the most part, I think winter IPAs are kind of kind of weird. All right, so I I think we're gonna we're gonna move away from our beer talk. We're gonna get on with the uh, talk about from Russia with love. So I no, said you, you don't have to hide that crack. Cracking it open. You just got done talking about a beer. Now you just there you go. Look at that. Perfect. The per- 
great crack. Now that I was saying, now that we're done with our special beer, crack open a Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> the cheap stuff. That can only have that nice crack, crackling sound. And that's right. So I said that I would probably let you do a little, you know, more of the talking on from Russia with love because you are the bigger Bond fan. You are you are the bigger Sean Connery fan. Um, you know, like the guy. I don't have a super, um, you know, a super nostalgic uh, feeling about his body of work. So I'm going to let you. Very sad that you say that. I'm not saying that I don't like his body of work. I'm just saying that my experiences with it are, you don't are love limited. The, you don't love The Rock? I like The Rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> the, the Michael Bay film, The Rock. That's right. Yeah, no, I like The Rock. No, but I, I mean... Which that I, film's like three hours long, so that would be, you know... Uh, it's just that my experiences with um, Connery's work is is slim. So I'm going to let you kind of, you know, I'm going to let you lead a little bit. So <laughs> we haven't done this in a while where you actually lead a, a show. <laughs> so uh, what do you want to start with? What, what should we talk about? So uh, I'll kind of com- talk about where I come from when it comes to... Being a fan of the franchise. I've dragged you ever since 2006 to, like, every Bond film that's come out. Mm-hmm. You know, from every every single uh, one of the Craig ones, so. But, so, f- like many uh, people who are millennial, Goldeneye was the first Bond film that I saw. I remember liking it a lot as a kid. Played the hell out of Goldeneye. You know, just like everyone did. Because of that, you know... Watched the Brosnan films, would have my parents order them on direct TV, you know, every single one that came out. Bought the games when I had my GameCube. I got Agent Under Fire and Nightfire. Played the hell out of them. And for those of you who remember, from like 2002 to like 2006, Spike, when it would come to Christmas and New Year's, would do like the 12 Days Bond. And every day they would play for 24 hours straight, like all of the Bond films, just at least for the first like two years. Like they, yeah. they also did like Thanksgiving ones too, like where they'd play it for like Thanksgiving, but mainly during Christmas, they'd do like the 12 married days of Bond and they would play all the Bond films. After like two years, they would only play, they would whittle that list down, you know, to like just like a couple of the Brosnan, most of the Moors. Couple of the Connery, like because Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, they only played like twice because that's like the only way I saw it for the first time. And like I remember seeing it like the first time and being like, "This ain't any good. This is boring." Mm. You know, and it took me until like college to rediscover. But this was fucking great. So that's where I come from. You know, built in. And I also had a friend in school too who was a really big Bond fan. You know, that's you know something we'd bond over. No pun intended there. So, that being said, being somebody who's been ingrained as a Bond fan for now, like 20 years, um, Connery's always been one of my favorite Bonds. Probably not my favorite Bond, but he is the quintessential James Bond. Mm -hmm. From the looks, his mannerisms, you know, he got everything down really well. And, you know, him and 
the formula that they built over those first, you know, five films. Enduring. Classic. It's what people, when you think of James Bond, it's what you think of. As good as Daniel Craig's band, his Bond films, you know, Casino Royale's good, Quantum Solace, crap. You know, Skyfall, good. Spectre, meh. You know. But they're not really, they don't really feel like Bond films overall because they've evolved into, you know, something different. Well, every time you watch a Connery film, it feels like a Bond film. Mm. And coming off Dr. No, Dr. No is, you know, really grounded, really gritty. You know, it's got a couple campy moments and stuff. Like Dr. No himself is kind of campy and some of the elements are campy, but it's pretty grounded. This being the second film is they take that Cold War spy thriller, thriller idea and expand upon it into this great, um, very understated film on what the plot is. Because the plot is just, they're trying to get a Russian decoder. Right. The lector. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and they kind of don't. They don't go too much into it. Like, it's basically left as this, we're trying to get the lector. You know, Russians want it. British Secret Service wants Spectre's it. Spectre setting up. Spectre you know, wants it. Blofeld and Spectre are setting up this plan because they're trying to get the lector for themselves. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, Spectre is uh, the terrorist organization throughout these the first couple of films. Where it's headed by Ernst Stavro Blofeld. We don't get to see him until you only live twice, but you know, you get all you can see is him just petting his cat, you know, being very menacing towards his subordinates. And that's where the whole like, you know, making the agents inspectors, you know, assigning them a number, like number two, number five, you know. Cause in Thunderball we'd meet, you know, number two, you know. But here you got Rosa Club who's number three and Kronstein who's number five. But Kronstein, this, you know, legendary chess player, has set up this plan, who's also a member of Spectre, to entrap James Bond to get this lector for them, because the British want this decoding machine, have the Russians give them that decoding machine, and while also doing this, kill James Bond because... Like I said, there's still some continuity within these films, and they mentioned that he's responsible for killing Dr. No, who right. was a member of Spectre, one of Spectre's agents. So it's out of revenge. Yeah, and then a- antics ensue. Right, right. And and I, the thing that I find interesting about um, about this movie is the fact that it lays actually it lays out the entire plan for you basically at the beginning of the film with the whole Russian dynamic. We're going to get this Russian lady who really thinks she's working for Russia. So we're going to involve her. And then, you know, the British are going to know that it's a trap. They're they're making sure they're, they're making sure they're picking a young, naive Russian, you know, decoding, you know, a decoding agent who's not going to be, you know, able to think about like, Oh, this is a, you know, what's going on. And obviously, MI6 is going to know this is a trap, but, you know, the whole, like, the game's afoot, you right, know. Right. They're going to enjoy, like, well, we can try getting it, but also, you know, try springing this trap. Yeah, there, it's 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 interesting that that's all being set up, and we get 
we get all of that delivered as like exposition towards the beginning of the film. Blofeld and number two and number or number three and number five are giving it all to us. Um, and then not only that, but after after that all happens, and um, Bond goes to Istanbul to meet with his um, Turkish uh, handler, basically uh, a guy that he's working with, um, Kayem, right? Kayem. Um, the, the, the he gets roped into another scheme that really doesn't have anything to do with um, this whole the Russia element or the lecture or anything at all. Um, Karim is, uh, has his own problems with terrorists, basically, uh, and Bulgarians and mines because there are <laughs> mines everywhere. And well, yeah, Turkey. no, it's, um, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Karim. yeah, Karim Bay, Karim. but he's essentially like the head of like Turkish, uh, intelligence or at yeah. least Istanbul. So, but what I find is that the film for, for like the first, you know, uh, or, well, it's not the first, but like into about 45 minutes into it. Is kind of get sidetracked on another mission for Bond that really doesn't have anything to do with the Lecter device. He's sort of helping out with a different scenario, and that kind of adds a layer of um, of uh, confusion to the movie because, for the most part, the be- like I said, the beginning lays out the entire plot that Spectre has for Bond, and so if you were to go through the film. And just go from point A to point B to point C. Bond gets the Lecter device from the Russian. Then uh, Spectre steps in to take it away. There would have been a kind of a really boring f- film. Because you, you, it would have gone exactly the way that had been laid out by Spectre in their plotting. With the Turkish um, terrorism parts, you get more action. You get another scenario that kind of muddles the plotting that the film has just laid out for you. Um, and I think that's kind of an, uh, a, a nice conceit for the film is that you, you know, bond is getting roped into something else. And so you, you're not going directly from this Russian um, plot to the actual uh, fulfillment of that mission. There's stuff in between that gets in the way. So I think that's that's kind of a a nice device for the movie because otherwise I think you know because the the film tells us everything I think that would have been too um too on the nose you you would have gotten you know there would be no surprises yeah. for you it's that it's that nice Cold War layer because it's, it's the Soviets who have the Bulgarians working for them who are you know pestering the Turkish who are you know working with the Britain because they're you know a NATO nation, so you got all that you know. Like right. I said, it's all it's. Like I said, it's one of the reasons why today it be this would be a hard film to recommend to somebody new because it, we're getting a lot further and further away from the Cold War and those kind of Cold War dynamics. You know, that not only that are going to be the, the really inter- lost on people. The internationality of the <clears throat> film as well. You know, the whole traveling to Turkey and Istanbul and Yugoslavia and stuff like that. That's kind of. That that type of thing is not really easy for uh, the audience yeah. to follow now, um, as it might have been in the, at the time. D- do you? Think I I do think setting it in Turkey too is great because it's very unique. It's out of all the places that Bond travels to over the years. It's the only, I think it's the only time he's been in Turkey. 
which you know to me it's just like adds another like you know nice layer to the film of being different and out there because later you know constantly being like Russia, Switzerland, Germany, Italy, you know, etc. America. Yeah, this one's a little different. That Turkish touch, you know, is nice. I really enjoy that. Do you think that it's a detriment that the film has Spectre and Blofeld lay out the plot exactly how it happens? Because there really is no um there is not really a surprise later on because there's no there's no like triple crossing like no, that you would expect now. Because I like like I said, it's a film of its time too. It has you when you watch it, it's, you can tef- definitely tell it's a f- film of its time. Where a film like this, out- outside of like a Hitchcockian film, would lay out everything for you for, right from the get go. Mm-hmm. I can see like if this were to be remade today, they would go like Atomic Blonde and fucking. Right, like, she's a quadruple. Tri- triple cross, quadruple yeah, cross. You know, yeah. uh, there's, there's seven factions working yeah. in this. Yeah. You know, and it, they would totally muddy. You know muddy the waters so no i'm fine with everyone being in on what the plan is and then trying to watch bond essentially figure out what the plan is because mm-hmm. okay. he and Karam know something's afoot right but you know what exactly they're not quite sure of and obviously they're already suspicious of the russian yeah that's that's like a given for yeah. them you know that's when especially when she's <laughs> caught climbing into bed with in his uh, Bond's hotel room for the first time. He's obviously suspicious. But at the same time, Bond is a man of opportunity. <laughs> and so that opportunity being she's butt naked in, in bed, I'm going to take that opportunity. And that, that's pretty much what Bond does. Um, I will say that From Russia With Love is one of the more womanizing uh, Bond films that I've seen. Even more than, I think, Goldfinger um, from, from this oh, he, era. Oh, he beats the hell out of uh, pussy galore and Goldfinger. He does, but in this, I, I'd say even more so in this. Like he gets a few good slaps in, in you know, in this film. But it, you know, there's points in uh, Goldfinger where uh, she's saying like, "Don't touch me, you're hurting me," and he's like pressing himself even further on her until she like submits and is like, "Okay, fine," you know. I think this one is great because and they has- and they and the cute you know the romantic music like you know like oh see she's just she's into it <laughs> she's just she's she to be uh. Yeah. Reinforced a little bit. This one is funny because it has so many of those times where Bond, like I said, Bond is a man of opportunity, and he really is swayed by the nearest woman. Like it doesn't matter. He it <laughs> literally doesn't matter. He's like a dog with like seventeen <laughs> bones around him. You're just like, well, that bone looks good, uh, but closest proximity. I'm over here now. I'm gonna grab this bone. That's that's how Bond is in this movie. But not only that, too. Club even frames it for Tatiana that, like, you're doing this for the state. Whatever he says that, you know, he wants, you're going to do. Exactly. And, and Tatiana is almost like on a casting couch call when she meets with Club. She's like, uh, take off your jacket. <laughs> wants to do a turn. Her. Exactly. You're very pretty. Exactly. And I couldn't tell from that uh, peacock coat you were wearing. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this movie it does have a lot of that great womanizing that you expect from a '60s movie. That's for sure. Um, not only that, but yeah. So you have the the slaps, the uh, the fainting, the hysteria <laughs> of women. A, a mind goes off, and the man's like, "I don't know. She didn't stick around. She." It's obviously hysterical. I don't. 
It's great. Makes Karen look like a badass, though. By ignoring the advances of a nubile woman in his uh, study? Yes. Yeah, and yeah, and a mind goes off. Basically and, just... and Bond's like, what happened? He's like, yeah, limpet mine. You didn't, didn't even get to see what kind of mine it was. It went off limpet mine. If I was at my desk, it would have killed me, but I was over here relaxing and... I woman do. ran off hysterical, yeah. I do like when we have that scene where she's just like, Karem Ray, Karem Ray, come, come to bed with me. He's just staring at a file just the whole time. He's like, be still, woman. Be still. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I'm reading up on Bulgarian intelligence, goddammit. Yeah, so there's way more important things than your boobs hanging out yeah. on the bed right now. Okay? He is, Karem Bay is definitely my favorite character in this film though i like he's dead i think out of all like because bond throughout the years constantly have like different like allies and films uh most notably felix Leiter, which to felix's detriment in every fucking film they'd ca- recast him so they're uh, up you know <laughs> so you never have so there was like no continuity period. so like you know i mean and he didn't show up in every film so when he did show up sometimes it'd be like oh felix is pretty good in this and useful like in goldfinger mm-hmm. and other times you know it'd be like what are you trying to do bond start world war 3 <laughs> yeah. yeah i can i yeah, and just be fucking god oh that'd be like from uh pretty sure diamonds are forever but where jimmy dean's in it but that's besides the point but um yeah, there is no continuity. But Karen Bay, like out of all like the Bond allies throughout the years, is definitely one of the best. Yeah, Karen Bay is is good. I like the. I definitely enjoy his delivery, uh, his calm demeanor, and then just kind of like the he just has like a very um, you know, peaceful way of dealing out whatever he's doing. So even when he's in the room with the Russian guard. He just comes in and he's basically smoking his kazoo. I like mm-hmm. to call it a kazoo because I really have no idea what that yellow thing is that he. It does look like kazoo. Like smokes. He's like, hey, I'm gonna, annoy, yeah. I'm gonna annoy you to I death. I don't know like, what I don't know what it is, but it looks like you know, it's like a yellow thing that almost is part like a, one of those c- cigarette holders like Corella Deville has. No, because it's too. It's not, thi- no, it's, it's like, not, it's yeah. not the same. It's not one of those, but it's similar. I don't know what it is exactly, but um, he's even with that prison guard. He's obviously there to, you know, give him guff. But he's still got, like, a very calm, peaceful demeanor. And delivery is great. I, I, I think he's, like, kind of the, um, uh, the, like, comic relief for this movie. Even though the, the film itself is not really extreme. You, you say it's, it's more serious. You know, it's, it's got, it definitely got a grittier tone to it. But it's not super gritty still. It's still got sort of a mischievousness to it. Oh, definitely. Like, because when, like, any time there's an explosion in this film, it's definitely everyone's running around like, oh, you know. Right. And like you said, with the um, the whole shootout sequence in the at the um, Turkish camp, uh, there's just fucking action happening everywhere. Horses mm. over here and guys up on, you know, spaghetti western style uh, roofs over and here, flipping around, running and fight. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know. Um, there is a lot of like almost goofball antics to it. It's almost like slapstick in a way. It's it's not slapstick. I it's was, not comedic. It, but it's, I think. Well, I think it comes off as X again. It's like a pro, like a product of its time, like yeah. the sixties. Like, um, I would say because in like Doctor No, like there's a goofy moment where when they're on Jamaica trying to in in Jamaica 
and they're trying to fucking infiltrate Dr. No's lair, there's a dragon running around. I put say that in air quotes, but it's actually a giant like mechanical robot controlled by Dr. No's agents and it spits fire out and it kill and like it like today that looks would when you watch it, it's like totally fucking goofy and weird, but like I could see at the time they're probably like, Oh, this would be like scared the shit out of people, yeah. you know. Right, yeah. Um it's got it's got you know, it definitely has that like Almost like sixties western, not even spaghetti western, but sixties western style shootouts, like bonanza, yeah, bonanza yeah. sequences. Um, but I mean, I think that that it works for it. And the film itself is, you know, you can't really get even with its length; it's almost two hours long. You can't really get bored with it because there's so much going on. You're at a Turkish camp with a shootout. You're on a train. You're on a boat. You're, there's bomb. There's a mine going off. You've got a lot of stuff going on. The film moves through different set pieces a lot. <laughs> Even though those set pieces are often um, green screen, like basically like you know projector, projector items that are you know they're working on green screens and, and and sets and stuff like that, but it still has a lot of elements to it that work pretty well that helps carry the film forward with momentum. It just keeps going on and on, and you've got different. You don't re- different- I say you don't even really realize that Bond's not in it for like the first twenty five minutes. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, because they're setting up the, all that exposition right. of Spectre, you know, Tatiana and the Russians. Yeah. That you know, until they get to finally get to MI six in London with you know Bond showing up. To- right, you've got that whole sequence with Grant at the beginning, mm-hmm. hunting down a James Bond lookalike with the mask. Which on. that's also one of the most understated like. Uh, opening sequences for the Bond franchise because again they haven't exactly found the formula yet to how all that's going to be you know so like I think now the idea of just Bond running around on this premise and we're like oh what's Bond doing you know and then he gets killed by Grant and then you see like oh it's this training session yeah because it ends like really quick and then goes into the pre you know the title cards and the title sequence, it's very, you know, it is, by today's standards, very understated on how that goes. Right. And I do think good, because it shows how efficient a killer Red Grant is, but it's not like the big spectacle that you would see in, like, Die Another Day that's, like, ten minutes fucking long of right. the hovercrafts and <laughs> Bond in North Korea and all this other bullshit happening and him finally getting captured. And right, and it, it, it actually doesn't contain Bond at all. Yeah. You think it has Bond, but it's really not. So you're not even starting out with James Bond yeah. at all. It's kind of like a nice reversal of, yeah. of what they would normally do with an intro like that. Um, yeah, What do you? so what do you think about Robert Shaw's uh, Red Grant? He's definitely one of the best Bond henchmen. He's, uh, he's very understated as well. Yeah, and that's another thing too, like I said, like as much as great as this film is, like it would not be something to show somebody right off the bat because there's a lot of, I think, unless you're a fan of the genre or the you know the Bond franchise to begin begin with, a lot of nuance that you know people aren't probably going to gravitate to. Robert Shaw is menacing in this because he's built like a brick shit house and he's just kind of always there you know always... a shadowy f- figure in the background with his gloves on too don't forget yeah. the gloves he's always got those he's always pulling on the gloves or, yeah you know they're they're the black murder and gloves yeah the, <laughs> you know the ones that trump was just recently <laughs> found oj's gloves yeah, you exactly. know um but you know just stalking and lingering and 
I even like that sequence during the the shootout where he kills somebody that's going to kill Bond. Kill Bond. Yeah. It's kind of like that scene. He's his little guardian angel. Exactly. Cause... Yes. It's a nice moment there um, where, uh, again, you kind of get that feeling because he's able to do that and be seeing, like, omnisciently, you know, you, you, f- you fear for Bond because yeah. he was there to protect him yeah. and then he could have easily ended him as well. Yeah. In that scenario. Same thing, too, when Bond, like when Bond and Tatiana are escaping to the Orient Express, you know, to get out of Istanbul. He's already on the train. He's slowly yep. stalking them on the there. train. And, and You can see that the, the plot is working out exactly as they want it yeah. to. So, it's interesting. It's, 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 I, I think that Robert Trav is really good, and you're right. He's unrecognizable in this movie yeah. from from jaws if you just know him from jaws you, exactly. you know you totally unrecognizable he has like the bleach blonde hair uh you know very uh very kempt look and 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 massive i know kleb goes and punches him with uh brass knuckles, <laughs> yeah, brass and, knuckles. and he doesn't budge or I, anything he's like she's like yeah he's fit enough <laughs> yeah right <laughs> send him to istanbul <laughs> which speaking of Robert Shaw as, you know, Red Grant. What do you think of that fight sequence between him and Bond on the Orient Express? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, obviously, you know that that's been set up immediately. You know what, you know, yeah, I think you know where it's going, especially with having Q do that whole, um, you know, t- tutorial of how to open a briefcase and things like that. You know where this is going. Um, I think that it works well in the film regardless you know, obviously, again, this is a different time. So now when you think of Bond, you think of like very technologically savvy gadgets. That's not really what this film had from Russia with Love. doesn't have anything like extremely outrageous. It's more like press a button, you get a knife that pops out of your briefcase. Or and a- that's something that I love too, though. Again, that's where I go back to like grounded, like the whole like oh, magnetized watch or right. doing the, like this ridiculous bullshit. Like, you know, yeah, it's. Like remote controlled car, like in Tomorrow Never Dies, you know, it's it's all like again, like something that you would expect like a spy during that time period to have. Like exactly. here's a briefcase, here's some gold sovereigns, like in case you like need some money, it's stored yep. here and like a knife stored here and you know. Yeah, it's a good it all moment. like it I, all and I think like even even the the scenario that really comes to fruition, the one that's that that turns the tables where you open the briefcase and gunpowder explodes, that is even it makes sense realistically and it's not something like super out of the ordinary that would be like crazy for anybody to to actually have it makes sense you could have potentially have that happen you just have a magnet attached and you open it a certain way and it explodes um all of those things really make it grounded and i think it works really well instead of having something absolutely ridiculous and it still relies on bond have still having the training and the fortitude to overcome some uh, a threat, whereas some other Q things in later films are really like they're the reason why Bond survives. He's relying on gadgets. In this film, he's relying on sheer, you know, strength, training, his his wiles. Um, because what you see from that scene too, which again that fight sequence is great, because though it comes off as like you know very kind of at times a little stiff like stiff not in like not just like like how it's supposed to look and feel but also like because the it's the 60s so there's only so much at the time choreographing they could do Mm -hmm. but um 
that whole fight sequence is very visceral and tense because it's in this very claustrophobic train car, you know, room. And they're just, essentially, it's just a tussle, you know, fight for, you know, their life. And you get to see the difference in between their characters because you're right. Like, so, from what we know and understand of Bond, he is, he's called by Spectre, their be- MI6's best agent. And, you know, experienced, well-trained, well-thought-out. You have to, you know, it's going to be very hard to beat him and out, you know, outthink him. Grant, though, built like a brick shit house, and, you know... Incredibly smart and able to adapt. They also, it's briefly mentioned, but he's also, you know, a sociopath <laughs> who they took, you know, got out of jail. So yes, he's going, yeah, they so, do mention that, like, so he's, he's going, going to, Dossier. yeah, so he's going, as we see, he wants to take pleasure and kill Bond slowly yeah. when he's got him dead to rights and instead of just plugging him and being done and moving on, he's got to enjoy, you know, his work. Yep. So, again, that's something that's very simple. And that whole, you know, dossier bit, if, like, if you weren't paying attention, something like, you'd be like, well, why is he sitting here, you know, gun in hand, you know, got Bond dead to rights and not killing him? Right, yeah, it gives you, it gives you an actual reason why the villain is, you know, because that's always been a, a like, kind of a... a parody now later on like in like doc villain, yeah villain has a ridiculous like dialogue yeah, and then you know continually like why, why aren't you killing him? well i want to torture him as much as possible this one actually has the storyline element to make that you know make sense why he's not because he is a sociopath and and that's the reason why he's keeping bond alive is because he wants to torture him so it does make sense and i think that sequence is really good the other sequence that I uh, think is interesting is there's the um, the helicopter sequence uh, where it keeps swooping down on Bond as he's running away. Looks a lot like North by Northwest, very clearly. I'm pretty sure, yeah, they ripped that. You very know. clearly taken from them. But what I love, too, is when the helicopter again is back and they're driving the, uh, the flower truck and they're just, he's just, this guy in the helicopter just keeps pulling grenades. Got a box of grenades. <laughs> keeps pulling them out he's like you know what Never, no no problem i got like three four more it's great it's, a, it's an awesome <laughs> moment uh but yeah that, that's like i was saying though the film has a lot of great different set pieces you're on a train you're you've got a chase sequence in a car you've got helicopter moments you've got you're on boats there's a uh whole like setup that explains why they're in are in video games there's just gasoline cans laying around in water uh, <laughs> uh, stages. That's also one of the coolest parts, too, though. Like, when they're on the boat and he kicks the fuel uh, gas drums off, and yeah. after they've been shot, he takes the flare gun and shoots, you know. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really cool. You yeah, know? it's, like, it's uh, like, exactly, it's, like, recognizable. as like, when you're playing video games, you're like, why are there all these the fun, The and... best part about that, though, is the Spectre boats are going out there, and they have green flags on yeah, one. Spectre green, Spectre red. red flags on the other. Like, yeah. You're going too fast, Spectre red. They had to, like, coordinate and make sure yeah. that everybody had their code name. Spectre green, Spectre red. That's, yeah. That's, I wonder how much time was spent, like, in the background before they went out. They're like, are you guys are on spectrum? You're on green. You got your green flag. You got it. Well, you know Sorry. because of how they, you know, how Spectre works, they'd definitely be sitting there like they're plotting that right Which, out. What an awful terrorist organization, too. You're in a plane or you're in a boat, and the best you can do 
for your fucking associates trying to kill these people is hand them MP40s. <laughs> You're not going to hand them an assault rifle, like an AK, like something that's got a little bit more oomph to it that can, or, that can that's meant for like long distance fire you're expecting like, a guy from a fucking helicopter or, you know from a fucking helicopter to sit there like alright yeah plug him with his submachine gun <laughs> yeah. uh, the, oh like maybe that's why they went with the box of grenades it's like dude if you fire that thing from up here it ain't gonna do anything box of grenades I just, <laughs> it's just so funny it's like it's like infinite grenades this guy has. I don't know car. why, too, but like those like late, like those 50s, like early 60s helicopters. Yeah. I just love how they look. Because like, they're just like so like. <laughs> they're like skeletons of helicopters. I know. It's like, like yeah. would you want to fly in that? Like, <laughs> it, it looks a little dangerous when they fall out. Um, yeah. I will say, too, like going back to the um, the whole like grounded uh, element of the gadgets, the whole having like a. Uh, compacts one shot you know sniper rifle the 25 caliber ar7 like yeah that's really cool and that's used the couple of times it's used you know again it's like smartly used in the situations that they use like that makes sense like what they would do it's not like hold on let me fucking assemble this gatling gun and you know (laughs) yeah yeah uh anything else that we didn't talk about that you can think of what so what do you think what do you think of Rosa Club? Technically, she's the main villain in this film. She's not in it too much. I think that Grant overshadows her quite a bit. Um, she does come up again towards the end. You actually kind of forget about her because throughout most of it, she's not in there again. Uh, you know, her, her and uh, they Kronstein, kind of, they kind of take a backseat. Well, after. and Kronstein is really kind of not featured much at all. You get that one s- sequence with him playing chess and stuff. Um, but other than that, like he, he's kind of wasted in this movie. I feel he's like he's got some great, I just love the part though of like him, like as they're sitting in front of uh Blofeld ex- and he's explaining his plan and you're like, why would they fall for this? And he grabs a cigarette out of his nice case and he like gives it that, you know, tap, you know, to pack it in. And he's like, well, the British love, you know, they love a trap. They love it. They see it as a challenge. Yeah. You know, like, just like, it's just like, oh, this guy's like such an asshole. Like, you know. I, well, it's, I like it's, it when he I know, wins it's the gra- chess game. You know, it's great. Somebody tries to go shake his hand and, and he just, just fucking blows it off. Like, nah, never mind. No. It's like, this was like beneath me, this chess game. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that it, at least she comes back because I feel like, um, if you like, if you think about anime, a lot of times anime has that really good element of here's this big bad guy, and then there are like six big, there are six smaller bad guys, some bosses on the tower, and then there are you know four people working under this one guy that we got to beat, and there's that kind of like almost video game element of oh we got that we beat this guy now we got to go on to this guy, and that really keeps you watching. So if you're watching through like sixty episodes of an anime that has that sort of structure of like, we beat this little bad guy. Now we're going to go beat the bigger bad guy. Now we got to go beat the bigger bad guy. That works really well. I don't feel like that's the case in this movie where Kleb feels like the bigger bad guy over Grant. Right. It's like, I, I don't, I, her returning at the end of the film uh, as the maid um, is nice to wrap things around, but I don't think she feels, um, like a formidable opponent uh, like Grant did. Grant feels more of the big bad villain. No, I mean, I can see that. I I do think, um, I do like the end fight sequence with her and Bond of her. Her trying to kick 
kick, kick, you know, kick again, like the whole shoe knife, like that, <laughs> like that's cool because that's like an actual, that was an action, you know, like an actual thing, you know, instead of like, oh, here's this like fucking MacGuffin type thing, you know, um, I think if they try, like had her like get the one up on Bond to begin with, instead of, you know, her just being like, Tatiana, help me. And then she's like, I, of course I'm helping James, you know, yeah. by that point. Um, that I think they could have like that could have made the fight more interesting to like kind of level it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it's cool, you know, because I mean, at this point, I mean, especially now that we we've again we've seen Blofeld, so it's at the end of the day, they're not good, overall. Cleb and Grant, they're not you know. Kronstein, they're not the, you know, big villains in this to begin with. So, mm-hmm. right. I will. I will say though, I really like the whole idea of like Spectre Island. Like they got this whole fucking training facility, <laughs> yeah. like, random island, don't know where it is, and then that's where you get that nice, you know, training montage as she's like walking down with the guy with like Grant's dossier, and they're going over. And you see him training like flamethrowers and firing and they're like throwing knives and fighting and shit and they're like she's like nothing beats you know nothing beats real experience like that and they're like that's right that's why we use live rounds you know (laughs) as they're all like running and trying to dodge like you know bolt that's you know that's really cool i like that i would say the only problem um the only really big issue i have is because when Bond is confronted at, at, with Grant and trying to figure out what's going on, he originally thinks, oh, this is a Smirsh operation. Uh, Rush, right. it's, it, this is just Russian counterintelligence. There's not even thinking about Spectre. You know, and he's like, you work for Smirsh. And he's like, no, I don't. And he's like, what? And he's like, I'm hired by Spectre. You know, Grant says he was hired by Spectre and Kleb and, uh, that Cleb, you know, hired him, and he's like, but she's the leader of Smirsh. And he's like, not anymore. And Bond's like, oh, he's she's not? Because earlier in the film, Cleb, ta- you know, tells when they're talking, breaking down the whole plot of the film, she says that she's been, you know, she defected from Smirsh, yeah. she's defected from the Soviet Union. Nobody knows except, you know, top, you know, members in the Soviet government. My question is, though, how the hell does MI6 not know anything about it? Right. You know, I mean, like, they may not know, but, like, you would think if you knew who the hell the leader of, like, the top Soviet counterintelligence was, if all of a sudden, like, no, like, there's, (laughs) you haven't seen this person in a while, you're not, like, thinking, like, well, you know. Yeah, it almost makes them seem like, you know. They're not doing their due diligence with intelligence. Yeah, but I think it would have been cooler, to like, I, like a cooler idea if they like kind of uh, made it. Lo- I mean, like, you're, when you talked about like the whole, like they set the whole plot up. I think if they let the whole film go on with MI6 thinking it was a smirch operation, and then Tatiana just defected at the end instead of you know being a patsy, like them knowing she's a patsy, just like knowing that she defected. I think that'd be cool because that'd set up f- future down the road, you know, higher stakes for Bond when it comes to figuring out Spectre. Because by mm-hmm. the time you get to Thunderball, 
MI6, all right, is, you know, trying to crack, you know, and take down Spectre. You know, that could have been a lot. Like I said, there's not really any continuity throughout the film. So as like it could like as a story been more interesting, like, you know, to have that build up to them, like finding out more about Spectre. Because in Dr. No, they know who Spec what Spectre is because of Dr. No, mm-hmm. but they don't know too much about it. But if they kept going on thinking like some of these operations were just like Soviet counterintelligence instead of actually Spectre, you know, until you get to the end game, that, you know, would have been cool. Hmm. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Yeah. All right. So I guess we've got a rate from Russia with Love on a scale of, let's see, on a scale of, Zero, all right, zero to ten. Uh, red Chiantes. <laughs> red Chia. There you go. Red Chia. I was gonna say something about the uh, the uh, women fighting over their man, but oh, yes, we can do was... Red Chiantes. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised uh, you didn't say anything about that. What, so, what do you think of that? That's hilarious. The, the I mean, whole just... the whole Red Grant, you know, pretending to be Agent Nash on the Orient Express, and he's. <laughs> Robert Shaw's doing that god awful British accent and They order the soul. Grilled soul. And he he gets a red Chianti. He's like, I'll have the Chianti, white. No, wait, red. Yeah, the whole scenario is kind of interesting because What a gourmand bond is to be like, I should have known. Red red Chianti. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I wonder, you know, the what what made Grant order red Chianti for one thing. Maybe just because he's a sociopath. Doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't follow normal... He's the inspiration for Hannibal Lecter, yeah. High couture uh, <laughs> eating establishments. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a funny moment. And even, like, I, I do love um, Connery's reaction to that <clears throat> when he orders the red Chianti. He's, like, kind of like... <laughs> you know, he raises his <laughs> eyebrows. Like, mm. You know what, though? I'm all about... If you like a red wine with fish... Fucking order a red wine with fish. Who cares? Stop being a snob about wine. <laughs> you think it pairs better or oh, something. Bond, Bond is like, as you'll learn throughout the film, he's a total, like, go- what, what do you call a snooty wine person? Uh, um, I don't know. I would call him, like, a vino. Like a, I don't know. Uh, Somali- I almost want to say. Like, would be the Yeah, like, like I was going to say, like, yeah, he, he is, like, you know, he's, like, constantly, like, with the champagnes and shit, like, you know. Yeah, pairing. And- well, I, I'm I'm absolutely all for if you want to pair whatever with whatever, you go for it. Because you know he what? gives uh, Crispin Glover's pappy and uh, diamonds are forever at the end. Because he's uh, Crispin Glover's father is one of the gay henchmen at the end. Uh-huh. That Bond like puts a little rag up his butt, um, and he gets all excited. <laughs> but like you know he he can't properly match the, like the right champagne to go with this meal, and he calls uh-huh. him out on it. Let the watch it, but I mean, yeah, like, yeah he's like, a, he is a total gourmand, like you know. But also, too, who's ordering grilled soul on a train? I don't know. Grilled soul. And he orders for <laughs> uh, Tatiana as well. It's like she'll have that too. No, Grant does. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, Bond does. I don't know. I think no, because yeah, I think no, Bond does. His, he says she'll have one too, and then uh, Grant says, you know what? I'll take that as well. Make it three. Make it three. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he he orders for himself. Bond orders for. I wonder Tatiana. what kind of like accoutrements come with it. Is it like asparagus? I'm, I would yeah. guess like a green bean green, or asparagus. Mm. I don't know. But yeah, that's 
I'm all for it. If, you're, if you want to have red wine with fish, you go for it. You go for it. Be open about it. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do out of 10 red Chiantis, what would you give from Russia with Love? I give it a 99 10. Great film. I love it. Um, I really do. It's like, to me, it's like the quintessential like Cold War thriller. Um, Connery's great. He's got great one-liners throughout this film. Not a lot, thank God, because that becomes a very bad point like down the line when you get to like the more Bond films and every other line's a fucking mm-hmm. one-liner. Right, he's got a couple, but not. But he's great in this film. He, You can tell he's like... Because down the line, like, when you get to, like, like you only live twice, he's, like, bored as fuck. You could tell by the time he's in Japan, he's like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> but, like, he's still, and he looks great. He's in great shape. He's still charismatic. He's menacing, too. I think the plot is great. It's got l- nice layers to it. It's not the most overly complicated, but it's got great. It does have depth to it. I think the whole Istanbul location is great. Adding Karim Bay, great. I think Kleb and Kronstein, they're okay. They're not the greatest like Bond villains, but they do for what the film is. I think you know Robert Shaw's Red Grant makes up for it in his menacingness. Um, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the girl who plays Tatiana, she does a very good job. Daniela Bianchi. You know, she's not the best Bond girl by any means, but she's very pretty. You know, I'd say upper echelon for Bond very, girls. Very uh, naive Bond girl. It, in terms of what would come next, which you have like double-crossing Bond girls yeah. and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Very naive, almost, you know, not really – she's not a threat for one thing. I mean, she's – She's supposed to be. But she doesn't really seem... But, I mean, she's more so, because, like, Ursula Andress and Dr. No is fucking useless. She's she, quintessentially Barbara, Night of the Living Dead, just like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, you I, know, the whole... I just found it interesting that she was, like, very, very, very naive. Yeah. And to the point where she's literally saying, I, I, you know, I've, I've fallen in love with you. And uh, Bond's you, like, you know what? That's you fine. really don't get, like, a really strong-willed Bond girl until... Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Diana Rigg. You know, that's like the first one that you get, like the most like complex and fleshed out one for what that story has in store. That's why. But I think, you know, she is one of, like, I'd say upper tier because I think she's very good, very attractive. She plays the role well. Like I said, I, I, I like the whole. Your booty? I, love the whole, like, like the whole gypsy fight scene's really cool. Probably not tasteful for today, you know, like culturally sensitive. But, they literally are you know, hissing like cats. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, nice, fun little shoot scene <laughs> and stuff. The whole Orient Express bit is really nice. It's really cool. Yeah, like that that poor um, poor uh, room servant who's got to come around and keeps finding dead bodies. Yeah, just like, oh, no. <laughs> fucking, fucking room. Yeah, no. yeah. There's a fucking room with dead bodies in here. But it's definitely, it's definitely, like I said, it's tied for first for my all-time favorite Bond film. It's the quintessential grounded Bond film. Um, And I understand not a lot of people like that. 
It's not it's not something for everybody. That's why even though most people consider this the best Bond film, if I were to usher somebody into watching this film, getting into the Bond franchise, this would not be what I would start with. It's like the same thing with Gundam. I love Zeta Gundam. I love the original Gundam. I am not going to tell somebody who's like new to Gundam to watch the original Gundam. Because you're probably not going to like it without some context. Yeah. So... Yeah, I would give the film an eight and a half out of ten. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was really good. I think, um, you know, there's just a couple of moments of pacing that are um, a little slower. Uh, on the train, sometimes it kind of gets bogged down a little bit and just um, the romance between uh, Tatiana and Bond. Other than that, You didn't though, like the whole, like, when they're at, back at MI6 listening to the tape and she's like, make love to me, James. No, that's as great. He, as, awesome. he's, as he's trying to get, like, to, like, what, where, what's the lector like? Oh, it's got. Will you make love to me in England? Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I don't. I don't mind those sequences, but the uh, one on the train where there's sort of like that romance of blossoming and she's in love, and uh, I thought it was a little bit too long for it for the sequence. But other than that, it's very good, and it, like I said, it moves through so many different set pieces: trains, planes, automobiles. Yeah, automobiles. <laughs> All of those things are in this film to some degree, and I think that's uh, really nice to have. Um, I I do think that I, – I don't know what's better, but I am questioning whether they should have laid out the entire plot from Spectre at the beginning. Um, it does set an interesting tone for the film as we know as the audience what Bond does not. So there's that bit of you know like irony there, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not sure – how would it have been if they did not set that out for us and we did not know about the double crossing and things like that? What would have happened? You know, what, would that would have been, that have been more interesting? I just question that. I don't I th- know. Again, I think that comes from like a privileged state of like films and TV today. Because again, that's like the same time period, like the sixties and seventies. You're watching a movie trailer. You saw the movie, right? You right, know, right. you you know, you see the trailer to the film. They spelt like you know. They yeah. were in love. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm just, I'm just questioning. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if it would have been better off or not. But I, I do find it interesting that it lays out the whole groundwork for the movie, even before we see it. Uh, so there's, the, there's no chance of surprise, or there's no chance of double crossing. I think even so, it has enough elements to it that it makes it, um, you know, interesting regardless. And you have Grant, who's a an interesting villain, uh, who's not, you know, again. He's kind of on the outskirts of the film. He's not really present all the time. It's not like we're constantly checking in with Grant. There's just a few moments here and there where we see him, but um, that presence is enough to keep him as a villain. Um, so I think that's all the, those things are work really well. Very interesting. Um, the film itself is is very strong, um, and I think that it you know the action sequences are are good. The film has a lot of good spy work to it, and Overall, very strong for a Bond film, especially because it is more grounded. It's not, um, you know, extremely tongue in cheek or anything like that. It's not. It's not almost becoming a parody of itself. It's definitely more serious and realistic in the, its representation of how Bond works. So, one thing we forgot to mention: What do you think of the whole aspect of them planning on killing Bond, killing the girl, saying he killed her? And they have this film of them fucking and, you know, scandalous, you know. It's great, yeah. It's extra, you know, out of marriage sex, you the, know. The film is 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 uh, funny because I don't think, I don't think 
many people would find it that. Well, today, you know, no, but even like, well, but even then, I don't think like, and in no one in MI six would have been like, what? Bond having sex with another woman on his mission? I can't believe it. I you know, know but, they wouldn't. But, but Britain though. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think it's it's funny that. You know, it's such a scandal, but... I don't think in the Soviet Union it would either, because I think they had different, you know, different views on sex before marriage. But, I, I like but it. It's, it's just funny, the idea of, like, oh, well, you know, look at this, you know, film that we did. We uh, we saw you two, you know, in the sheets. Ha-ha, <laughs> you know. I like to think that at the end, Bond was looking at the film and admiring his form. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a good shot. <laughs> it's also the good shot is hit uh, the throwing it the green screen and just his <laughs> arm and just waving his arm around. Looks like the Grinch or something. Just like waving around and then hucking the That's film awesome. into the water. Yeah, you know. yeah. I, it's a good good ending shot. <laughs> That's not the best part of Spectre's plan. You know, that's uh. My, no, that was like so, that was so, like. So, if we get that far, I, but, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Yeah, they didn't. Like, you're, I'm surprised Blofeld's like really. He fucks everybody. Right, right. Like you know, they didn't. He's think, constantly sexually harassing you know Money Penny. You know, they didn't think the ending of that out too far. They were. I think they were just surprised to be able to get that far. <laughs> All right, so that ends our from Russia with love discussion. We are back. In two weeks, with our Thanksgiving special that we haven't decided yet. You got mail. I think it might be Rambo. First Blood. I'm, even though, even though that's not, it's not really a Thanksgiving movie. (laughs) I still kind of want to do it. Have you seen First Blood? Yeah. Don't call it Rambo First Blood. That's not the name of the film. Well, I said, I'm, I kind of The name of the film is, the name of the film is First Blood. Then I corrected and I said First Blood. Second Rambo film is called Rambo First Blood, Blood Two, <laughs> and then, I, I, I want to. Are we going? Are we going to do a Brian Dennehy month? Is that why we're doing? <laughs> the other one that we could do that I also would want to do at some point is Blood Rage, which liter is a, is a horror Thanksgiving movie to some extent. Um, so I haven't decided yet, but e- either one of those I'm interested Well, gee, in. being Veterans Day, maybe we should have done First Blood. Right. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm torn. I, we haven't decided yet, but um, it might be one of those two. I don't know. I wouldn't mind doing First Blood. Yeah, it's fun. I, I, it's, it's barely Thanksgiving, though. That's the only problem. But still, it kind of falls into it. So, Well, again, there's not a lot of Thanksgiving. we got to do First Blood at some point, right? Why not make it Thanksgiving? Soldier just wanted some cranberry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we will be back in two weeks for Thanksgiving. What episode. a conflict, too, by the way. How would the public deal with that film now? What do you mean the police are, police are harassing a soldier? Like, who would people now, like, vote, like, you know. Root, lives matter, man. Like, like, root for in that situation. Right. I love our troops. I love the troops. But the blue I lives. Love the bo- <laughs> <laughs> I love the boys in blue. Just. <laughs> The the confliction that would go that's on. That's right. That's right. We'll have to talk about that if we cover it. Who, who would win? The boys in blue or the military? I, 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 I have to say, I think it would be the military. 
I think they would side with the military guy. I don't know. I Although think, we, I think we are this... more than happy to let our veterans, you know, rot without housing. So I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for serving. Hope you're doing well. I actually don't have a house. Oh, that's fine. Uh, what's tomorrow? Oh, it's not Veterans Day. Okay. So. Yeah. I have mental illness now. Oh, really? Fuck universal healthcare. It's not for everyone. All right. So we will be back in two weeks for our Thanksgiving episode. Thanks for listening. Let's do, you know, what we'll do first blood. We'll do first blood. It sounds like we're, we're settled. It's decided now. That's right. <laughs> um, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you listen to a podcast on, we're on it. So subscribe to us. Leave a nice review. It really helps us out. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum. We're on Twitter at blood and black rum. We are uh, we have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you want us to cover for for films in the future. And we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. If you feel like donating to us and help us helping us keep the show running, uh, keep the lights on, uh, we appreciate anything that you can give to us. Um, that's again, patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. That's a monthly fee. So, uh, whatever you donate, just remember it comes out monthly. So it's not one time. If you want to do it one time, you can hit us up on PayPal as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you come back again for our Thanksgiving episode, which we have decided is first blood in two weeks. And until then have a good time. Take care.